the time we get to the end of the conversation that goes to this subject of worship, who are we back talking about? Messiah comes. He'll guide us into all truth. He's talking about himself. Jesus always finds a way to bring the conversation back to what will you do with me? I'm Celeste Montague. Welcome to Dare to Stand, a radio ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church in Glendale, Arizona, featuring the teaching of senior pastor Dr. Kevin Shaw. Dare to Stand is on the radio to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will listen, to carefully teach the truth of God's Word, and to encourage a healthy lifestyle of worshiping and honoring God. For more details about Dare to Stand or the ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church, please visit www.daretostand.org or call the church at 623-581-3115. You can receive a free MP3 copy of today's message or the entire series in MP3 format for a small fee by contacting the church. Today we continue our study with Dr. Shaw on the subject of worship. The Lord has much to say throughout the Bible about how we are to worship Him with our hearts, not just our outward ceremonies, by remembering what He has done for us, and by seeking the Lord and listening to what He says. Today Dr. Shaw brings us part one of a message titled, Jesus on Worship, part one, as we study what our Lord Jesus Himself has to say about the subject of worship. Let's listen. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're in John chapter 4, and this is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. I'll give you a little bit of a context uh, a little bit later in the message on this, but we'll just read this passage as Jesus is having this conversation with her. He tells her that he can give her living water. And of course, that's a glorious thing, that living water, that where she'll never thirst again. And she says in verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus answered, Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and, the, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Uh, our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this, uh, worship in this mountain, nor yet at Jerusalem, and worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called the Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless your word now as we look at the application with regard to this particular subject of worship. Lord, I pray that you help us to understand and apply 
And then in the best way that we can obey your word, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I was reading a book a number of years ago, getting ready actually for some writing that I was doing. And so I was reading the book, and there was a book by Elmer Towns who's written a lot on, um, on Christian subjects and church sub- subjects. And the title of the book was Ending the Worship Wars. And I thought to myself as I read the title of the book, Good Luck. Now, what he meant by, you know, was, was this conflict, okay, do we do contemporary worship? Do we do traditional worship? Do we do a mixed form of worship? Do we an edgy type of worship? Do we know no worship? And, you know, and there, and there are all the arguments about all the different types of worship and everything that is, everybody's supposed to be doing. And they're arguing. Uh, can I just remind you of something? The worship wars were going on when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And the, and the worship war that they're talking about as he's talking to the woman at the well, started a thousand years before that. So this type of stuff has been going on for a long time. So I I don't know exactly if we're going to end the worship wars, but what do we do when Christians face differences of opinion, when we we have true differences? Well, I think we have some particular responsibilities, and those responsibilities are fi- to find answers from the Word of God. So let's, let's take a look at the context, because when we come to this particular passage, and I've been preaching on the subject of worship, what the Bible says about worship, I, I think that this particular passage is probably the most important passage in all of Scripture with regard to worship. It is just so full of truth and so essential for us to understand what we're supposed to be doing. And so in order to un- understand this passage, we need to understand the context. And the, the context here is this. You go a thousand years before, that's almost a thousand years before, under the reign of Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, who was the son of King David. King David rose to the throne in Israel in 1000 BC. His son Solomon reigned after him. And, and the kingdom was probably at its height, the kingdom of Israel, under the reign of Solomon. Remember that Solomon was wise, and the, the nation be, became greatly wealthy, and it was something to be... That, I mean, they built the temple, and the, te- the temple during this time was absolutely something that was glorious. We see the, the discussion of the dedication of the temple in the Old Testament. And so under Solomon, it was, it was fantastic. But Solomon also did something, and that is he taxed the people greatly. He... I mean, there were all these things that he built. And when his son Rehoboam took the kingdom, Rehoboam didn't have the wisdom of Solomon. He didn't have the abilities that Solomon did. And, and the wise older leaders said, listen, you need to take burdens off of the backs of people. They've been pushed too hard. He talked, Rehoboam talked to the younger people, and the younger people said, listen, put harder burdens on them. Do more. And he took the advice of the younger rather than the older. I don't know if that means that older advice is always better, but I think for a younger person, you ought not to discard the advice of a previous generation without thinking it through very carefully. You know where they say, I just heard somebody tell me this this past week, you know where good decisions come from? Experience. You know where experience comes from? Bad decisions. So don't waste somebody else's bad decisions. So, I mean, so he, that's what he did, and it divided the kingdom. There was a civil war, and the, the kingdom divided half. It was the north and the south. In fact, for most of the history of the Old Testament, from, from that time, around 900 B.C., until the time that Jesus, uh, Jesus came, well, until 722 at least, um, you have two kingdoms, and it's, they're really two separate groups even after that. 
And so the kingdom divides. Now Jeroboam, and the, the two leaders are Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Jeroboam in the north, they were not brothers, but Jeroboam in the north and Rehoboam in the south. Now what Jeroboam did was he changed the place of worship because he didn't want his people, we, I preached this not long ago, he didn't want the people going from the north back down to the south because he thought their loyalties then would be renewed for the southern kingdom. And so he didn't want them going down to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So he created a false place of worship in Samaria. But that false place of worship included a false style of worship, they began worshiping golden idols, golden calves. And they treated the idols like it was Jehovah worship, but it was not exactly like Jehovah worship. He was changing worship for political purposes. And there's a lesson for, that, for us in that, and we've already dealt with it. So that, that was the difference. As far as the northern kingdom, there was not, as the Old Testament records, there was not one good king of that northern kingdom. Eventually, the northern kingdom went into sin, and God allowed them to be taken into captivity in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom lasted a little longer. There were several good kings. But the southern kingdom was taken into captivity between 605 and 586 B.C. Now, when the, when the southern kingdom was taken to, to Babylon, which later became Persia, the people maintained their distinctiveness. But the, the northern kingdom, they didn't so much maintain their distinctiveness. There was a remnant that remained in the land, and there were some of the south that remained in the land. But then there were other people that were moved to the land of Israel from other places as the Babylonians moved people around to sort of destroy national identities. So when the, the group that had maintained their, their identity as Jews came back, they came back to live in a land with a group that had not maintained their identity as Jews, even though they had been in the land. And so there was a division between them. There still remained two places of worship, even until Jesus' day. And so those that were considered them the, themselves the pure Jews, the God-honoring Jews, um, they would have nothing to do with the Samaritans. Dr. Shaw will be back with more on the tension that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans and how this tension played a role in their worship. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dare to Stand with Dr. Kevin Shaw as we continue a study on the subject of worship and what Jesus had to say about worship with a message today called Jesus on Worship, Part 1. Dare to Stand is a radio outreach of Northwest Valley Baptist Church. You can link to the church at daretostand.org. And here's Dr. Shaw now to talk a little bit about an addiction recovery ministry going on at his church called Freedom That Lasts. Hello, this is Kevin Shaw. Are you or someone you know dealing with the agony of an addiction? You cannot change what you do until you let God change who you are. Freedom That Lasts is a discipleship ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church that applies the life-transforming principles of the gospel and Christian growth to the problems of life-dominating sins and addictions. All of this happens in an atmosphere of love and accountability. If you would like to know more information about this important ministry, give us a call at 623-581-3115 or visit our website at daretostand.org. Go to the homepage and click the Discipleship Connections button. Thank you, Dr. Shaw. If you or someone you love needs addiction recovery, please contact Northwest Valley Baptist Church today. And now, let's get back to our study as Dr. Shaw helps us to understand the tension that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans and how that impacted their worship 
as we continue to take a look at Jesus' conversation with a Samaritan woman one day. Here's our teacher. When they would travel from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, typically, they'd cross the Jordan River and travel up on the east side of the Jordan River, then cross back over to the west side of the Jordan River just to avoid Samaria. But when Jesus decides to travel from Judea up to Galilee, he decides to go through Samaria, and they stop beside Jacob's well here, and as they stop beside the well, the disciples go into the town to get something to eat, and Jesus is resting there beside the well, and a woman of Samaria in the middle of the day comes out to get water out of the well. That was an unusual thing. Jesus asks her a question, would you get me some water? And she says, why are you talking to me? After all, I'm a woman, and the men didn't talk to the women, strange women. Number two, I'm a woman of Samaria, and so I, I'm, not, I'm, only a, I'm a Samaritan woman, and she obviously recognized Jesus as Jewish, maybe by his the, the way that he spoke or, or the, the clothes that he was wearing. So she obviously recognized who he was, and she was just startled that he was, he was talking to her. And so we've described these things, the exile, and the, there was the corrupt remnant and all of those things. Let's um, continue on. So they began having this conversation, and Jesus said, will you get me some water? She said, well, Jesus said, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask me, and I would give you living water, and you'll never thirst again. Now, he was talking about water that would feed her soul because this woman had a God-shaped hole in her life. Everybody does. And so she had, she had been seeking to, to find satisfaction for her life and a sense of fulfillment in all different types of things. And Jesus wanted, wanted to point that out to her. So he asked a very simple question. Go get your husband. You say, why, why ask the question? He already knew the answer. Why embarrass her like that? Because Jesus did know the answer. Now, she had had five husbands, and she was now living with a man that was not her husband, which was, I know, in the you know, 21st century American context, that's no big deal. But in first century ancient Near Eastern context, that never happened. You just did, no one lived with someone that wasn't their husband. And she'd had five, and now she's living with this man that is not her husband, and Jesus mentions it to her, which would be embarrassing, tremendously embarrassing. She was obviously embarrassed by it, but Jesus does it. Now, let me suggest to you why he did it. Number one, I think he did it to point out to her that he understood her sinfulness. But I think there's a second reason. He did it to point out to her that he knew everything about her and was being kind to her and showing her love anyway. We need to show the love of God to everyone, regardless of who they are. Regardless of what the life is like or what they do, we need to show the love of God. Now, that doesn't mean you approve what they do. Jesus didn't, didn't approve the way that she was living, but He showed kindness and love to her anyway. He cared for her. And so, He does this, and and she is startled by the fact that he, he understands this and she thinks to himself, he doesn't know me, uh, he doesn't know anything, he, I, I've never met him before and yet he knows all about me and she changes the conversation immediately. She says, um, sir, I think that you're a prophet. You have divine knowledge from heaven. Now, she was doing, one of, she was doing a couple of things. 
She was acknowledging the fact of his supernatural understanding. But she was doing more than that. She was changing the conversation because that's what we do, right? If, if the conversation comes up and it's uncomfortable and embarrassing, let's talk about something else. And if we really want to get out of talking about the thing that is uncomfortable and embarrassing, let's drop a real highly, hotly debatable bomb on the conversation so that it has to move the other way. This is argumentation 101, is it not? Every teenager learns this very quickly. I mean, I'm just, that's not everyone. There are some really wonderful kids that don't do this. But, I mean, it's just, okay, if, you know, mom and dad are talking about the one thing, let's, let's go right here. So, boom, you know, there, there can be argument. Kids, you know, they learn it. Adults learn it. We do this. And so she changes the subject. Well, what does she change the subject to? She diverts the conversation to worship. That's what we see in verse 21. The woman, she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. We're going back to the Jeroboam-Rehoboam controversy. She brings up a controversy that is a thousand years old. Imagine you're, you're talking to your child about cleaning their room and you know, all of a sudden they say, Dad, what, what do you think about Calvinism? Uh, you know, they just, let's just throw that right in there and change the subject. So she brings up this thousand-year-old controversy. Did, did she have any reasonable expectation that her question would be answered? And I think, no, she just wanted to argue because she knew well, he's a Jew, and you worship in Jerusalem, and we worship here. And, and, and so, but it's an amazing thing about Jesus. Jesus begins the conversation talking about the living water. Well, who's the living water? He is. By the time we get to the end of the conversation that goes to this subject to worship, who are we back talking about? Messiah comes. He'll guide us into all truth. He's talking about himself. Jesus always finds a way to bring the conversation back to what will you do with me? And that's where we get in this conversation as well. He uses this for an occasion for truth. Now, the question is about a specific practice of worship. And the specific practice of worship, the specific debate was this. Where? Where should you worship? Where should we worship? Now, Jesus gives us in the next few verses, Jesus Theology of worship. By the way, if we're concerned about a theology of worship, I think we probably ought to be concerned with what Jesus says above everything else. And this, and his answer is fascinating because his answer was astounding at the time. It's not only astounding, it is impossible to consider what we do in a local church with regard to worship without thinking about what Jesus Christ says right here. So we have to do this. And here are the principles. Let's take a look at the principles that Jesus says. First of all, true worship is not bound by location. She said, where should we worship? Jesus said, listen, the hour is coming, the day is coming, the time is coming when you won't worship here and we won't worship there. He looks to the future. In other words, what he says is this. There is no magical spot or location for worship. Oh, wait a minute, you say, Pastor Shaw. Wait a, wait a minute. We, you were preaching in the Old Testament, and you talked about how it was wrong for Jeroboam 
to move the place of worship from Jerusalem to Samaria. So the place of worship mattered. Yes, it mattered because that was a matter of obedience at the time. It wasn't that the mountain was magical. Does that make sense? It wasn't that the temple or the tabernacle was magical. It was just simply about obedience. His purpose in moving the place of of worship was to use the place of worship as a political tool. And, of course, worship has been used, religion has been used in politics for years and years. And that's exactly what Jeroboam was saying. But Jesus was saying this, listen, there's going to come a time when you won't worship in Jerusalem. By the way, the time was coming fairly soon. A.D. 70, Titus, the Roman general, comes into Jerusalem and he tears down the temple. And the worship, the, the Samaritan worship begins to fall apart. And it is it, within just a, a few hundred years that there's no worship going on in the temple in Jerusalem. There's no Samaritan worship. None of that is going on anymore. In fact, people are gathered around the world today worshiping in places like this. Jesus was trying to explain how true worship doesn't require a specific temple or historic location in order for the worship to be acceptable and authentic before God. And Pastor Shaw will return with some closing thoughts in a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dare to Stand, a radio ministry outreach of Northwest Valley Baptist Church in Glendale, Arizona, where our teacher, Dr. Kevin Shaw, serves as senior pastor. Northwest Valley Baptist Church is located at 4030 West Yorkshire Drive in Glendale. That's just south of the 101 at 40th Avenue. Come visit our new worship center. Sunday worship service is at 930 a.m., Adult Bible studies and Sunday school for all ages are at 11 a.m., and Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. Child care is provided for all services. Wednesday evening activities include prayer meetings, children's and teens programs. Northwest Valley Baptist Church also offers a quality traditional Christian education for your children, grades K-12, through at Arrowhead Christian Academy, located right on the church property at 40th Avenue and Yorkshire Drive. For more details about the church, kids' programs, this radio broadcast, or to register your kids for Arrowhead Christian Academy, please visit www.daretostand.org or call 623-581-3115. If you enjoy listening to Dr. Shaw's teaching, please visit our website and find out more about the church. You can support Dare to Stand with a tax-deductible donation of any amount on our secure website at daretostand.org. We gladly offer free MP3 copies of Dr. Shaw's teaching, and we would be honored to minister to you personally and help you in any way we can. Please call the church at 623-581-3115 today. Join us for Sunday morning services at 9.30 a.m. and Sunday evening discipleship at 6 p.m. You can also listen to Dare to Stand Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on this same radio station. I'm Celeste Montague. Join us again next time as we continue our study on the subject of worship and what Jesus had to say about it. Now, here's Dr. Shaw with a final thought to share from Jesus on how true worship does not require a specific location. 
Jesus knew that worship would take place in all kinds of places in the future, all over the world. Thanks for listening with us today on Dare to Stand. He looks to future worship, not only in the church age, but what will happen in the next few years. You know, there will be a time when worship will not happen in either place. He said, this is the point. God is a spirit. God is not in one location. God is not bound to a particular location. So we have, we're building a church building, right? And we have a church building here. There's nothing magical about coming in the doors here and praying here. As if when we come here and we get on our knees, God is in this particular building. Well, God can be wherever he wants to be. God is everywhere.